Good morning, Zoe. Uh, we had an eventful weekend this last weekend, Pastor Greg, some other men, uh, myself. Uh, we were up in Alexandria, Minnesota, and uh, there's a man saying, yeah, right now, yep. Uh, there was 1,100 men that gathered uh, up in Alexandria for a men's retreat, and it was phenomenal. I'll just say one of the coolest sounds in the whole world is uh, hearing over a thousand men lift their voices in worship to God. It was just amazing. And so I'm coming off the high of that weekend and a little tired, but I am so excited uh, for this message today. If you guys would stand with me for the reading of God's word, and if you're brand new to Zoe or you're just checking it out, uh, this is something we do every Sunday in reverence for the Bible, in reverence for God's word. We don't believe in preaching opinions or recent articles in the newspaper. We believe in preaching a text that's shown itself faithful for centuries and has authority and power it to encourage our lives. And so uh, before I hop into the text in John chapter 20, you need to know what's going on. There's this woman named Mary Magdalene who just watched one of the most traumatic events she's ever seen in her entire life. She watched the body, the physical body of Jesus, uh, get crucified. Uh, that is not a fun event to see. Um, that is very tragic. It's very traumatic. And she was one of the few who witnessed this. Uh, Mary Magdalene's name is mentioned more than a dozen times in the Gospels. And um, that's important because she's mentioned more than most apostles are that follow Jesus. Uh, Mary Magdalene just got done watching Jesus, her Savior, die. And then... She watched as his body was taken off the cross, and she followed Joseph Arimathea, who helped create a burial place for Jesus. So not only did she watch him die, she followed him to the burial place. She watched Jesus buried. And then, a couple days later, she's the very first person to go to the burial site. And all of the trauma that she's been living in the last three days just got ripped back open in her life when she looks in the tomb and there's no body of Christ whatsoever. She's freaking out. She's overwhelmed with grief. And then we get to where I'm bringing you today in John chapter 20, verse 15. It's on the screen if you don't have a Bible. It says this, Jesus asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Mary, probably her eyes swollen from the tears in the last three days and what she witnessed, the injustice of a perfect savior being put on a cross by her own people shouting, crucify him. And her eyes in this moment reliving some of the pain in the last couple days. How many of you know when you cry so hard you can't see? It's just a blur. And so thinking he was the gardener, this is what Mary's thoughts were. Thinking that Jesus was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I'll go get him. I'll find him. Tell me where he is. And then Jesus said to her, Mary. That's all it took. That's it. Mary. Jesus, help it to be so personal for us that all it took was hearing her name. Yeah. 
and she knew it was you. Help us to know your voice in that kind of way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. The title of my message today is It's Personal. When it's personal, it hits different, doesn't it? When something's personal in your life, it carries an extra weight to it, doesn't it? It hits you in in a different kind of way. I have two kids, my wife and I, we have two kids, a six-year-old girl and a four-year-old boy. They are polar opposites. Their personalities, wide ranges, way different than one another. And uh, I was in Tennessee. We were at an Airbnb, our whole family. We're enjoying a good lunch, sunny afternoon. I got my four-year-old boy sitting right next to me. He's eating his sandwich. I'm eating my sandwich. It's enjoyable. And uh, if you don't know anything about Zoe, last week we had baptisms. And how we do baptisms at Zoe is we have a tank right here, and Pastor Amanda brings all the children and lines them up on the front row so the little kids of the church can see people getting baptized. Because here's why. We want the next generation to know. We want them to have faith. We want them to see it, right? And so that's a good thing. That's exciting. And so we're eating lunch, and my boy's right next to me. And all of a sudden, my son disappears, like Casper the ghost, poof, gone. And I look at my wife, I go, where'd Malachi go? We were just eating lunch. He was in the middle of eating his pickle spear. I was eating my sandwich. Where is he? My wife goes, I don't know. You tell me. Where is he? I go, I don't know. So we have the screen door shut, a breeze is coming in, and I hear water splashing. And behind our Airbnb, and we got this hot tub back there. And I go, no way, there's no way he's in the hot tub. There's just no chance. He's fully clothed. He knows to get a swimsuit on. He's been swimming in it with this. There's no chance he's in a hot tub. And so, so I walk out there. I turn the corner. My son, fully clothed, is sitting in the hot tub, just enjoying the sun, enjoying life. I go, son, what are you doing? Get out of the hot tub. You got your clothes on. My son, without skipping a beat, He goes, Dad, I'm getting water baptized. (laughs) Dad, I'm going to get baptized. And I'm I'm looking around like, well, okay. And he kind of comes to a conclusion. Well, actually, I can't baptize myself. So my son switches what he says. He goes, actually, Dad, I'm going to baptize Everly. I'm in here, Dad. I'm going (laughs) to baptize my sister Ab. Why? Because he's sitting in the front row watching people get baptized, and he wants it to be personal for him. Don't believe me? Think I'm making just wise jokes trying to get a laugh? You're getting baptized? No, you, you, got, you have your, all your clothes on. Why? You want to baptize Ev? Yeah. <laughs> Who is he? God. This pickle spear's good, but that hot tub's better. I'm going. <laughs> this is a picture of my little girl, Ev. We were at a public pool, swimming pool, and uh, four of our cousins are there. She's got four of her cousins there, our family, their family. And uh, my little girl, she looks at me and gives me this, like, cute puppy dog eye face. She goes, Dad? I go, yeah, Ev. She goes, can I have your... um?" Can I have your credit card, Dad? (laughs) 
she's giving me this like cute puppy dog, like, Dad, um, can I have your credit card? I'm just like, when you give me that look, just want to give you my whole retirement. <laughs> want to give you my life set. You want the van too? You want to ask for the keys of the van? You can have it all. So cute. And then I go, well, Ev, why do you want my credit card? What, what are you going to do? She goes, Dad, right over there. I, I, I just want a Popsicle. I'm going to buy one Popsicle, Dad. And I, I need your card. And I go, okay, honey, here's my card. So when I hand her my card, she out loud goes, hey, who wants Popsicles? <laughs> Who wants some? I got dad's card. All four of her cousins line up in a row like little ducklings. We get popsicles, yay! Going on dad's card. Why would I hand my little girl a card? Because it's personal. It hits different when it's personal, doesn't it? I think the reverse is true as well. Know what was really interesting? The presidents of the United States of America, his son was interviewed by a reporter, and they asked him this question, what is it like to be the son of a sitting U.S. president of the United States of America? What's it like? I'm sure the reporter was expecting an answer of, well, I get to have pizza whenever I want. I have my own chef. I get to rollerblade in the White House walls. I'm sure they're expecting some fun answer of what it means to be the son of a sitting U.S. president. You know what this son said in his response? He said this, I have spent countless hours with the most powerful man in the world, but had no idea who he really was. And then he says this, I never knew my father. Nobody knew my father. Know what I hear when I hear that interview with that boy? I hear the heart cry of a son that just is saying, I want it to be personal with my father. I wish I knew my dad. I wish it was personal. What about the world-renowned atheist, Madeline Marie O'Hare? Madeline Marie O'Hare in the 1960s was bringing her son to a public school in Baltimore. And as she dropped her son off late, she walked to class with her boy, and she heard the whole classroom praying to God to start their school day. This mom, Madeline Marie O'Hare, who has her own difficulties, her own troubled childhood, she made it her life ambition, her life mission, that God would not exist in public schools, that God would not exist on currency. You want to know why we no longer have prayer in public schools anymore? It's because this world-renowned atheist started by identifying it in the public high school, taking it all the way up to the Supreme Court level that ruled in her favor that there should be no more prayer anymore in public high school. Not only that, but she made it her life goal. If it says anything to do with God, if it has anything to do with religion, anything to do with Jesus, it shouldn't be on money, it shouldn't be in schools, it shouldn't be in our kids' lives. And for the next 30 years, she became famous, Politicians got behind her who supported her agenda. She became wealthy with all the money and people supporting her loud voice. She was in newspapers. She was in headlines. Madeline Marie O'Hare gives her life to deny any God. And then in 1995, when she passed away, they were auctioning off her personal journals. And other atheists around the world who followed her, who studied her, 
purchased her journals for thousands of dollars, hoping to reinforce the belief of atheism. And when they opened her journals, you want to know what they found repeated in her journal more than once? Was penned these words. Will somebody please love me? Will somebody please love me? Will somebody please love me? And what blows my mind is a woman for 30 years who became famous in the eyes of men and women, denying God, the whole time had a Savior telling her, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. A Savior who came to make it personal. Yet through her whole career was void of the very one who could fill the God-sized hole in her heart. I wonder how many people today, their whole heart cry in your workplace, in your school, where you go, pen the same words. Will somebody please love me. Will somebody love me. Will somebody see me. And the heart cry of all humanity is would someone see me. Would someone notice me. There was a teenage girl who had the same heart cry. She battled mental health issues for years. She went through all the counselors, all the doctor visits, couldn't find any cure. Mentally traumatized. In fact, it got so bad that whenever saw, someone saw her in public, people would run the other way. She became an outcast. No one wanted anything to do with her because of how screwed up she was mentally. And then if she could be here today to tell her story, she would say this. Everything changed in my life when someone named Jesus walked into my life and he did not call me according to my mental health. He did not call me according to my sins. He didn't even call me according to what other people saw in me. But he called me and gave me a name. And in one moment, a moment encountering Jesus set me free, delivered me. This name is a woman in scripture by the name of Mary Magdalene, who we found out had seven demons that tormented her mind and led her hopeless and led her into an outcast. And for the very first time, she met someone who came to make it personal. How many people are living in torment? And how many people are living in a place where they just wish they could taste or experience a freedom? All the while, with people shouting and screaming from the rooftops on all these platforms, there's one who keeps knocking on the door of hearts, saying, I love you, I love you, I love you. And I came to make it personal. You know what happens when it becomes personal for you and it's not just a religion? You want to know what happens when it ends up being personal in your own life and not just something you have to do to check off a box and say you showed up to church on Sunday? Number one is this, is when it's personal, you're fully committed. You're fully committed. It says in Luke chapter 8, first time we see Mary mentioned, it says, there were women who supported Jesus in his ministry and his travels. And among them were women who had been cured from diseases and demonic issues. 
Mary Magdalene was at the top of the list. You know what's interesting? Is the moment Mary was set free, she didn't even have to come to a spot. Do I commit or do I not? She was all in. And from the moment she was set free, she immediately began supporting Jesus. And here's what it costed her. It costed her time. Because from the moment she's set free, she's a full-time committed follower of Jesus. All the way to the point of his death, all the way to the point of his burial, and all the way to the point of his resurrection. You know what most biblical scholars say when they read John 20, starting in verse 1? Here's verse 1 on the screen. It says this. It says, early on in the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. So many people deserted Jesus in his death. She was there. Very few people ever took the journey to go to his burial. She was there. And then can you imagine with me? On Friday, she watched her Savior die. The one who came to make it personal. On Friday, she watched the whipping. She watched the crown. On Friday, she watched the nails go in his wrists and the nails go in his feet. On Friday, she watched one of the most traumatic, evil, gruesome deaths anybody can take. She was there. And then what makes it worth, worse is the next day is Saturday. What does that mean? Sabbath. So what does this mean? She is sitting in silence, mourning, weeping, grieving on a day where she can't go anywhere to visit her Savior's tomb. And I can imagine Mary not getting any sleep on Saturday night because she knows the moment Sunday hits, she can get up and be the first one to go visit the tomb. Most biblical scholars say this, that the fact that Mary went in the dark means she probably had her footsteps memorized to lead her to the very tomb that he was laid in. Know what that tells me? Someone who's fully committed. Why? Because it was personal to her. Has following Jesus costed you and I anything? Because not only did it cost Mary her time, it cost her her resources. It says she supported Jesus financially out of her own means. You know what's beautiful? Is Mary's story in the Bible isn't far off from you and I's. There's people who know what it means to be in a dark place in this room and then have the light of Jesus come in and rescue you. Not only that, but there are people in this room who can resonate with what I'm about to say next is this. Is not only did Christ save you, but it became so personal that you can't wait to give your resources to support the gospel going to the uttermost parts of the world. We have people in our church that can't wait to give to kingdom builders because it's not they have to, it's not they have to show up to church. They can't wait to sow and partner financially with what God's doing around the world. Fully committed. There's people every single Sunday who are showing up early to pray for a service that's one hour. There's people who are serving multiple services every single Sunday. It's costing their time. It's costing their resources. But here's the most beautiful part. No one's forcing them to do it. No one's telling them, hey, you're a bad Christian. If you don't, get your butt in there. No, they do it because they love it. Because they've had encounters with Jesus. It's personal to them. You know what I wish more of us would have in the room? Is that we would have a global perspective of our Christian brothers and sisters 
who live on the other side of the world that might be able to challenge us. Did you know there's a pastor in Iran who's leading a whole underground church movement and he's been threatened to be killed time and time again? Never been killed. He was in the U.S. for a conference for pastors and they interviewed this Iran pastor. This guy asked him this question, hey, what is it like to live with a bounty on your head knowing you might die for the gospel? Know what he said? He said, just know this. If I ever die, I will not have died silently. Two weeks later, he passed away for not being silent about the gospel of Jesus. Why? Because it's personal. And when it's personal, you're fully committed. Not only are you fully committed, but number two, when it's personal, you know his voice. Know his voice. Mary runs to the tomb. First one there. And then she sees one of the worst sights she could ever see. Her savior isn't in a tomb anymore. And she thinks someone's kidnapped him, stolen him, or done something to his body. She runs to tell the disciples. The disciples come, they scope it out. And the disciples, it says in the text in verse 10, that they go back, there's only one person remaining at an empty grave. Grief hits every single person differently. And Mary's response is one of being quickened to find out where he was. But then I find it interesting that all the disciples leave to go back, and who stays? Mary. And she's weeping, and she's grieving, and then she gets to the point where she sees a gardener, or so she thinks. And she's asking the question, where is he? Tell me where he is, I'll find him. I'll go discover him. You tell me, I'll go do it. This passion to see Jesus wherever he is, I need to see him. And all it takes, all it takes Mary, Mary, the same voice that stepped into a demoniac woman's life with seven demons and for the first time heard her name by a rabbi named Jesus, Mary and commanded all demonic activity to leave her life is the same voice who visits her in her worst grief. And he looks at her, and all she hears is her name, Mary. You know what one of the most personal things is about you and me? Our name. You know what I find really beautiful? Is the first time Jesus ever publicly said he was the savior of the world was with one woman at a well with a jacked up past. It's as if in the biblical narrative of scripture, he's like, yeah, the world, whole world's gonna know, but I'm also a God who loves to make it. 
personal. And then the first person to ever see the resurrected Savior of the world is one woman with a jacked up, messed up past who's been following him closely ever since she first heard his voice, Mary. This gospel I'm preaching from, the gospel of John, 10 chapters earlier, Jesus says this, my sheep know my voice. And if they ever hear the voice of a stranger, they will never follow it. Here is Mary, a sheep who had heard her shepherd's voice. And then she hears it again and it hits different. Why? Because it's personal. Do you know his voice? Do you know what his voice sounds like? One of the best ways to discern his voice is just to every day read what his voice wrote. You want to know the Father's heart? You want to know his voice really clearly, just how Mary can? To be so close to the word that he wrote. I, uh, I don't have a dad anymore in my life. He passed away in 2009. You know what I long for sometimes the most? It's just for a dad to say, Mike, I'm so proud of you. Mike, I love you. I long to hear those words. Can I just tell you, when I spend personal moments with Jesus, it's just me, a journal, and a Bible. Can I tell you one of the most repeated phrases I hear over and over? Mike, I'm so proud of you. Mike, I, I love you. I'm, I'm so proud of you. Keep going. Do you know his voice? Because when you know his word, you'll know his promptings. You'll know his voice. Uh, when my wife was first pregnant with our first child, I had people mentor me and be like, hey, um, make sure you go up to Steph's belly and make sure you speak to your baby. Just put your, voice, your, your mouth right, right next to your wife's stomach and you just talk to your baby. I'm like, you want me to talk to a stomach? I mean, that's weird. Yeah, yeah, just, just do it because your baby who's inside your wife's belly, your baby's gonna know your voice. Just talk to her as much as you can. So we'd have evenings, right? Go to my wife's belly. Everly, it's dad. I love you, Ev. I can't wait to meet you. We're so excited to see you, Ev. And then the day of Everly's birth comes. And uh, the doctors grab our baby and they set her on the scale to weigh her and do all these tests, and our daughter's just screaming, wailing probably from the cold air, and just healthy cries and screams. And when I walk over to her, I go, Everly, it's dad. Right when I do that, the screams immediately stop. And her eyes are searching for me, why? because she knows the sound of her father's voice. When it's personal, 
you know his voice. And some of us, more than us needing to hear the most recent stock market analysis or hearing the most recent article and what's going on in the world, know what we need the most? Is to hear his voice. Say, Chris, Heidi, Daryl, you just need to hear his voice. I love how Jesus shows up from a demoniac state to a state of grief. And it's her his very voice, the sound of his voice, just brings relief, brings healing, and which leads me to my whole so what of this whole message, which is this, is when it's personal, it's purposeful. In the text, in verse 17, Jesus said, don't hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Don't, don't hold on to me, Mary. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I've seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. So cool. So awesome. Immediately from a state of grief to now Mary Magdalene being the first person in all of history to ever tell the full, complete gospel story. I've seen him. Guys, he's alive. I've seen Jesus. You, you got to see him. He, he sent me. He, he told me to come tell you. Isn't that what Easter is all about? No, what's powerful is in two weeks, Pastor Gray's going to preach the same message Mary Magdalene preached. He's not dead. He's alive. He's not dead. He's alive. And that message is the hope of the world for the heart cries of the atheists of the world to the oppressed of the world to the demonic of the world. That same message is the message that hits every heart that's crying out, will somebody please love me? Will somebody please love me? Will somebody please love me? You see, when it's personal, it's very purposeful. And one of the greatest tragedies is for you and I to spend our whole life never sharing the good news with somebody else who needs to hear it. God has put you in the neighborhood you're currently living in for such a time as this. God has put you in your workplace for such a time as this. God has orchestrated your calendar to be around people Greg and I and our whole staff can never be around. Why did he do it? So you might be like a Mary Magdalene where it's not just personal, but it's now purposeful for the people around you. I have one question. Who is God asking you to invite on Easter Sunday because maybe just maybe the person you're inviting is writing in a journal at home somebody please love me will anybody love me and how beautiful and how powerful 
to hear about one who made them, who loves them, and who has a purpose for their very life. I know who we're inviting. Who's God asking you to invite? One of my wife and I's favorite thing to do is we can't wait to bless our neighborhood, bless neighbors, invite them over, bring cookies. In fact, we have neighbors who bless us. Right next door, they bring us gifts for kids' birthdays. It's a blessing to be able to be a blessing. With every head bowed, every eye closed, maybe you're here visiting and uh, you can relate. It's never been personal to you. It's never been personal for you. I want to take a moment right now for this moment to become personal for you and Jesus. Just how we showed up to a Mary Magdalene, he didn't wait for her to be delivered. He came and brought the deliverance. God wants to come and bring your salvation. God's the one who gives you this free gift that sets you free and delivers you. If you're here and you're walking in darkness, you're walking in sin, and you're saying it's never been personal, but right now, I want it to be personal. I just want you to throw up a hand wherever you are, saying, hey, I want it to be personal. Praise God. Anyone else? Awesome. So cool. Anyone else? It's not personal. I want it to be personal. So awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, you see every hand and you see every heart. And God, I just thank you that you've made them and designed them for a personal relationship with you. And that on Sunday, March 26th of 2023, that there are people here who are saying it's not been personal. But God, I receive your personal forgiveness and I receive your personal love and salvation for my life to never be the same. God, would you help me to be a fully committed follower of Jesus? God, I want to serve. God, I want to give. I want to give my time. God, I want to follow you all the days of my life. Lord, help me to know your voice. Help me to discern when it's you and when it's others. God, I want to be a sheep that when he hears your voice, never follow a stranger we only follow you God help it to be personal so that it might be purposeful in Jesus name Amen Amen powerful message encouragement this morning and uh, so I was listening to that this morning that <clears throat> I think one of the things about a personal relationship with someone is that you have to make time you gotta make space for it. You ever had that friend? Yeah, like, like my best friend. And then you think and realize, I haven't talked to them in like three weeks, or I haven't talked to them in like two months, or I haven't hung out, because we haven't prioritized it. So I think a practical challenge here this morning is to say, okay, also, how can I make sure that I'm making space for this relationship to be personal? How do I get into your word? Maybe it means I'm gonna have to make a change in my schedule this week. But God, I want that kind of a relationship. You called us to something so much richer than just showing up for an hour on Sunday. I'm going to invite you to stand with me across the room. And I'm going to invite our prayer teams forward. And if you are here this morning and there's just something you need prayer for, God wants to 
minister to you this morning. We've got a team ready to pray over you, to pray with you, to encourage you. When service is over with, I'd encourage you to come forward, respond, allow them to pray with you, to minister to you. Uh, but as, as Micah shared, the challenge is who are you going to invite next week or two weeks for Easter? Who are you going to invite? Who are you going to reach out to? And like we said, there's opportunities to serve. We need your help uh, at the back of the room. I encourage you to stop by the tables and engage that way. But our hope ultimately is that people just like the woman he shared, people that desperately need to be loved, they need to be reminded of who cares about them, would hear the hope of Christ. Can I pray over you as we go today? God, we thank you so much uh, that you spoke to our hearts today, that you're calling us deeper in you. God, I pray this week that we would walk out that kind of a faith. God, a faith that is intimate, that, that walks with you, that pursues you, that de- desires to hear from you. God, may your word just explode off the page this week as we pursue you, God. May our, may our ears be attuned to your voice this week. Go with us. Help us to live for you. May we go to be a, a light, to go with purpose this week to bring your hope to those that we experience. We pray in Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen. Have a great week, guys. We love you. We'll see you back next week.